And thank you, praise team. You have just marvelously created our sense of the presence of God in this place. Wow, thank you. I've heard that. <laughs> Let's pray again. Come, come, Holy Spirit. Speak to our hearts. May your presence continue to be felt among us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I've kind of learned that the church stands for the reading of the Word of God. Yes. <laughs> John chapter 4. It's the last story in John's Gospel, beginning with verse 43. After two days, he left for Galilee. Let me stop for a moment. He'd been in, Gal in Cana, that's where he turned water into wine. Then he went to Jerusalem south about a hundred miles to Jerusalem, according to John, and of course that's where he went into the temple and turned the money changers tables and cleansed the temple and, and, and did all of that, thank you. <laughs> So he, he did all that, and, and he met with Nicodemus. So then he leaves, and he goes back to Galilee. That's what he's doing. And, and on his way to Galilee, he goes through Samaria, which is the midpoint. And there he sits beside a woman at the well. And now he's back in Galilee. Verse 44. Now, Jesus himself had pointed out that a prophet has no honor in his own country, speaking specifically of Nazareth. When he arrived in Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him. They had seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, for they also had been there. Once more, he visited Cana in Galilee where he had turned water into wine. There was a certain royal official whose son lay sick a few miles away in Capernaum on the edge of the Sea of Galilee. When this man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to him and begged him to come and heal his son who was close to death. Jesus. Unless you people see signs and wonders, Jesus told them, you will never believe. Hmm. Seems like an odd response, but We'll continue. The royal official said, Sir, come down before my child dies. 
Go, Jesus replied, your son will live. The man took Jesus at his word and departed. While he was still on the way, his servants met him with the news that his boy was living, and he inquired as to the time when his son got better, and they said to him, yesterday at one o'clock in the afternoon, the fever left him. The father realized that this was the exact time at which Jesus had said to him, your son will live. So he and his whole household believed. This was the second sign that Jesus performed after coming from Judea to Galilee. Thank you, you may be seated. So I'm preaching on the seven miraculous signs that are mentioned in John's Gospel. It's very interesting to me that John only talks about seven miracles. It's unlike the Synoptic Gospels. Uh, Matthew's Gospel, for example, he sees Jesus, he goes into a, uh, to a, to a synagogue and he casts out demons and, and then he leaves there, he goes to Peter's house and, and he heals his mother-in-law and, and people realize, that, oh, Jesus can do this. And lots and lots and lots of people come and, and he's healing everywhere. His, his healing miracles draw so many people that he can no longer preach in the temple. He's, he's got to go outside. That's not the way John presents the gospel story. There are only seven miracles that he mentions. Um, he turns water into wine. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago. At this time, he heals uh, someone's son, a nobleman or a, a royal official. And it's interesting that both of those, no one sees it happening. Well, I say no one. Turning water into wine, his disciples knew what was happening. His, Jesus' mother knew. Uh, the servants who filled up the jugs and went to the well and filled them by they knew. But, but there were hundreds of people, presumably, at this wedding, and nobody knew. In fact, they all gave credit to how wonderfully the groom and his family had provided. But nobody, none of them saw what happened. Jesus, John, as he writes the story, wants us to see it and to know that it's a sign. And then this story, nobody sees it. This man comes and he comes begging for the healing of his son. Jesus tells him to go home and on his way home, the father doesn't even see it. He hears about it. The son is well, he's up, he's running around, he's, he's playing, he's fine. John says, it's a sign, don't miss it. 
Um, the next week I'm going to be talking about the healing at the pool of Bethesda. None of the other gospel stories tell us about the, any of these first three. In fact, I will, the series will end with the resurrection of Lazarus. None of the other disciples tell us about this. None of the other gospels. So it's interesting, out of the seven, four of them are unique to John. We don't even hear about them outside of John's gospel. And furthermore, miracles are not a big thing for John. They're just not. I think that that's why he says, you people, you, you see signs and wonders, unless you see those things, you won't believe. It's just not a big thing for John. They're signs. They're like glaring fluorescent signs that say, Jesus is the Son of God. Believe in him because that's how this gospel ends. These things have been written so that you will know that Jesus is the Messiah, he's the Christ, he's the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you'll have eternal life. These are signs pointing to that. Don't miss it. But John, they're not, they're not big with John. Because John understands that people can see miracles and dismiss it as some kind of magic. We'll be talking about that in John chapter 9, where there is a man born blind, and Jesus heals him. He's been begging all of his life because he can't work. He can't support himself. His family can't support him, so they, they place him on a path where lots of people pass him and everybody knows who he is, and Jesus heals him. And the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the leaders refuse to believe it. This is some kind of trick. You can dismiss miracles. They can be interpreted as magic. Magic. And you've seen magic. You've seen magic shows, either in person or on television. And I'm dazzled by it. I, you know, when, when you know, there's, there's this box up there and, and the, the magician has this um, lovely young assistant climb inside and he closes the box and he pulls out his saw and he saws all the way through this box. You think, oh my goodness, this woman's being sawed in half. And then finally he opens up the box and it's empty. And out this lovely young lady comes perfectly whole. It's magic. You've been tricked. What you saw isn't what you really saw. 
You can dismiss it. You're dazzled by it. You're amazed by it. But uh, all it means is that the magician's good at it. Doesn't mean that God is here. So John, in telling us about these miraculous signs, is very, very selective. And the story that he tells is about a certain royal official whose son was dying. The question is, who was he? Well, I think I can tell you who he is not. This certain royal official is not a centurion. Specifically, he's not the centurion that Matthew talks about in Matthew chapter 8, Luke talks about in Luke chapter 7. The centurion is in Capernaum. Jesus is there in Capernaum. And the centurion has a servant who is sick. It's not his son, it's his servant. And he, Jesus becomes aware of it, and Jesus says, would you like me to come? Now let me tell you more about that centurion. He was not a Jew. Jesus was a Jew. His disciples were Jewish. He was speaking in Jewish synagogues. He's everything about him is all Jewish. This centurion was not a Jew. This royal official was a Jew, but the centurion was not a Jew. He was a Roman. Furthermore, he was a soldier. People hated those soldiers. The soldiers had come and occupied the streets of Jerusalem and other cities in the, in the area to make sure of the, to maintain the peace, but maintaining the Pax Romana, the Roman peace. The best way to take care of uprisings is to make sure that there isn't any. So they were there to make sure that nobody said anything or did anything out of hand. That's who the centurion was. The name comes from century, means 100. He had under him 100 men. He was the commander. He was responsible for them. This guy was hated because soldiers, not all of them, some of them would come up to you and put their sword in your belly and demand money. It was called extortion. It was so prevalent that John the Baptist, when he is baptizing on the Jordan River, Luke tells the story, there are people, he's calling for repentance. 
repentance and then baptism. And people say, well, what, what, what should we do? Even the Roman soldiers were there because where there's a gathering of people, there are going to be Roman soldiers in the time of Jesus. He didn't want to hear about somebody uh, setting up some kind of a rebellion. They're going to make sure that's not happening. So the Roman soldiers are there keeping the Pax Romana, but they're intrigued by John the Baptist. And they said, well, what should we do to repent? Jesus says, stop your, ex John, John says, stop your extortion. Be content with the money you're already given. Yeah. People hated them. And they were surprised when Jesus says, oh, your servant is sick. Would you like me to come to your house and heal him? And the servant says, oh, no, 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 no. No. Jesus, I am not worthy of that. I see you're a man of God, and I, and I see you have divine authority over sickness. Listen, I understand authority. I speak to my men, and they better do it. They do it because I have authority. I understand authority. Jesus, all you have to do Speak the word. Jesus says, wow. I have never seen faith like that Roman centurion in all of Israel. The Roman centurion becomes a model of what faith really looks like. This certain royal official is not a centurion. The language is different here in describing this guy. Furthermore, he's not a member of the Sanhedrin. Nicodemus was. We're told about that. Rather remarkable that Nicodemus came to Jesus. He came to him by night, but it was quite remarkable. This is not a member of the Sanhedrin. So who is this certain royal official? The third category of who he might be, and I'm certain that this is who he was, he was one of, I put it in quote, King Herod's officials. Let me tell you about King Herod. He's not Herod the Great. Herod the Great was in power when Jesus was born. He was called Herod the Great because he did some great things for Jerusalem, specifically for the temple. 
plated some of the, of the temple with gold, brought in huge, beautiful stone marble pillars into Jerusalem so that the temple would be absolutely dazzling. It is said that when you were walking up the mountain to Jerusalem, Jerusalem was built on top of a mountain, when you're walking, and if the sun was shining, it was almost blinding to see the reflection off of the gold and the, and the white pillars. Herod had done some great things. But he was not a great man. He was a very insecure man. People who are very powerful and yet insecure are very dangerous. And some people from the east come knocking on his door when Christ is born, and he's saying, where is he who is born who will become king of the Jews? And, and he panics. Well, let me find that out. Let's go to the prophets. Uh, and they say, Bethlehem, when you find him, come back here and tell me so that I might worship him. Yeah, right. Huh. When they don't come back, Herod orders the murder of all the young boys, the baby boys born at that time. He was evil. This Herod is the son of Herod the Great. His name is Herod Antipas. That's what they officially called him. He's one of four sons of King Herod, of, of, of Herod the Great. And he is given to be governor, Tetrarch is the official name, Tetrarch of that northern region of Galilee. And then his brothers had other sections of Palestine. He wanted to be, Antipas wanted to be king. He wanted to be known as King Herod. But he was a pawn of the Roman government. And so he appeals to Rome asking for that title so that he could rule his people even better. But he was never granted that title. Antipas, which means against the people or for the people. It could be interpreted either way. Those who hated him, says Herod Antipas, is against the people. Those who favored him said, oh, he's for the people. At the end of his life, Jesus' life, 
when he was captured in the Garden of Gethsemane, he was taken to Pilate, who couldn't, could not figure out why the Jews were bringing Jesus to him. Saw nothing worthy of death. And then he says, oh, you're from Galilee? Oh, well, that makes my life easy. You go see Herod. Herod was in Jerusalem at the time. Herod is in charge of your district. You go see Herod. Herod was thrilled because he had never personally met Jesus up to this point, but he'd heard about him. And he'd heard that this Jesus performed miracles. Herod hoped that Jesus would perform some miracle for him. So this Jesus is taken away to Herod. Wow, Jesus. Hmm. They say you're a miracle worker. Hmm. Good. Perform a miracle for me. Oh, you can heal blind men. Is this a blind man? Heal him right now. Let's see your stuff. Uh, you, uh, you make lame people walk. Over there, there's a lame person. You may, do that for me. Let, me. let me see what you're made of. Let me see your stuff. Do your magic tricks for me. Jesus won't even speak to him. Not a word. His men think that's rude. The colleagues or the cronies of this certain official mock him, spit on him. Oh, you think you're the king of the Jews. Right, let's bring out a, 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 a purple robe and put it on him. <laughs> oh, you make some fine-looking king you are. They mocked him. They laughed at him. They criticized him. They spit upon him, and they sent him back to Pilate. Hmm. This certain royal official would have been a part of that. Now, the text tells us that he became a believer. So maybe he was changed. I don't know what it means, what John means when John says he became a believer. Maybe he just stood back and said nothing. Or maybe he lost his confidence in this Jesus and joined the rest and mocked and spit on him.
That might be why the, there's a difference between what Jesus says to the Roman centurion and what Jesus says here when he begged him to come and heal his son who was close to death. Unless you people, and the word you is plural here, the NIV has it correct, when it says, unless you people see signs and wonders, you will never believe. It just seems like a harsh response to a man whose son is dying. But now you know who he was. This certain royal official was an official of King Herod who could do some very evil things to him. couple of things. When Jesus sees a man suffering because his son may die, and he says, you people, Unless you see signs and wonders, unless you see miracles, unless you see some song and dance routine, unless you see some kind of magic show happening right before your eyes, you won't believe. Hmm. I have to confess that Sometimes I'm like those people to whom Jesus was speaking. Sometimes in my prayer life, I pray, God, send a revival to the church that I'm serving. And when people come, let there be healings, wonderful healings, blind people made to see, lame people made to walk, those who are on the verge of death rescued. Then they'll believe. Then they'll know about First Baptist Wallingford. Then they'll come and there will be crowds. There will be people. The church will be full on Sunday morning. It will be full on Monday night and Tuesday night and Wednesday night, every night. Lord, do your wonderful work among us. Yeah. Sometimes I'm, I'm like that. Jesus says, What? Unless there are signs and wonders, you won't believe. God wants us to believe, 
to have faith and trust in regardless of what we see and interpret as signs and wonders. When there is someone sick, I join you. I pray for that person. But I pray for something else. If they're sick, I pray that they'll be made healthy. But I pray for something else. That they will see the power and the presence of God. That they will fall down before God and worship him even if they continue to be sick. Because every sick person is going to die. Every healthy person is going to die. There'll be a time when every lame person will no longer walk on this earth. There'll be a time when every blind person will no longer see on this earth. All the gifts of God are temporary. But he wants you to believe so that by believing you will have life in his name and you will live forever. That's what I really pray for. And I am not at all insincere when I pray in the depths of my heart, God, let your will be done. Because that is not a cop-out for me. Because that's ultimate. That's what is ultimately important. That God's will be done in you, that God's will be done in me, that God's will be done in the church of Jesus Christ, that God's will be done across this world. And then there's something else. <laughs> Jesus knew. He knew who this guy was this royal official. Jesus knew what was going to happen to him. He knew that this guy or his cronies would soon spit on him, mock him. This guy was really Jesus' enemy. He could do some really bad stuff to Jesus. Despite all of that, Jesus extended to him Grace, healing grace, fatherly love, 
You can go now. Your son will be fine. And he was. Don't miss that sign. That is a sign that God is among us. And when people see that in you, in me, it is a sign that here is a person who knows what kind of a guy I am. And yet, extends grace and love and forgiveness. It's a sign to them that God's grace is in my very midst. Let's pray. Forgive us, Lord. Sometimes we only come to you because of what we want you to do for us. Forgive us. Help us now to fall on our knees as it were before you and declare that you are our God, that you are holy, and that we will worship you, and that we will know that God is good all the time, whether or not you answer any specific prayer. You are good. You are loving. You are compassionate. Help us to extend that love and compassion to all those around us. In Jesus' name, amen.
life, the ups and downs. Joy comes from a consistent and focused relationship with Jesus Christ. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 8. I'm about to close out here. I'm going to turn it back over to Kathy, and she's going to... I don't know what she's going to do. <laughs> 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 8. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with inexpressible and glorious joy. Aren't you? Do you know anyone who's living this level of life? Joy unspeakable. Full of joy. Do you know anyone? How do we live a focused life in Christ? Verse 14, and then I'm, I think I'm done. Kathy, is that okay? <laughs> John 15, verse 14. Watch this. You are my friends if you do what I command. God expects our obedience. He expects it. He doesn't just want us to obey. He demands that we obey. Wow. What kind of life are you living? It is a, is a life that counts. Is Jesus Christ the focus of your life? That means that everything you do centers around him. Everything. I'll close with this one sentence. Christianity, a Christian, disciple, follower of Jesus, is not a part-time life, a sometime life. It is not. It's an all-time life. It's a surrendered life. Giving up of self. Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, Heavenly Father, that is the cry of our hearts this morning. Your people calling. In repentance, forgive us of our self-righteousness, of our pride, of our disobedience, a selfish life that, Lord, we come before you this morning with one desire upon our hearts, and that's living a focused life in you and through you. Lord, I pray, and this is a bold prayer, whatever it takes, Lord, in the life of your people, professing Christians, your church, whatever it takes to bring us to our knees. and live 
a life centered on you. Put it before us, Lord. Put it before us. And in making that statement, I see one person. I see Jesus Christ. And then I see the power of the Holy Spirit working upon those that are within the sound of these words, this prayer, whether it be in this building or online. Specifically, people online. You're welcome in the house of the Lord. Don't make him a life of convenience. God is calling us to be one in Christ Jesus. So, Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit moves within those that have been listening, those that have ears to hear. And the Holy Spirit moves them before your throne, on their knees, in repentance. and a desire to abide, to remain in you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Please stand, respond to how God has spoken to you this morning, whether you be here physically or you're visiting us online. There are people online that will respond to you in prayer, information giving. Whatever it may, you may need in your life this morning, you can find it in Christ Jesus. Kathy?